Good morning, church family. My name is Claire, and I'll be reading our Old Testament reading for today. It'll be Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Eric. I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Our final scripture will come from the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 17 through 25, and then I will jump to verse 29. So I tell you this and insist on it, the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome 
talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. God bless you. All right, well, thank all of you. I appreciate that. Um, a lot of different scriptures. Hopefully we can uh, make some sense out of all of it together. Uh, well, let me remind you of where we've been. Um, and then I want to just give you a quick forecast what the next couple weeks are going to look like. We have a theme word for the whole year. If you haven't picked up on it, it's this word devoted. Uh, there's this idea that when you really are into something, you literally are all in. Like you can't just have a gym membership and have a healthy life, right? You have to actually go regularly and do exercises with intentionality in order for it to benefit you. It's the same thing with eating. Like I can say all day that I'm starting a no sugar diet today, but um, there is constant temptation on every corner of not fulfilling that. And so unless I'm committed to it, I'm not going to have, have much success. And so we've spent some time this year really looking at some of the challenges to us remaining faithful in our devotion to Jesus Christ. And then we looked at what Jesus was devoted to leading up to this past Easter. What was so important to him, what experiences, what teachings, what thoughts were in his head that he wanted to make sure that his followers in that first century that were with him, what what, what was he devoted for them to understand? And so now on the other side of Easter, We are now going to be looking at how the early church was devoted to a resurrected Jesus. Not just a Jesus that had taught good things, but they now have had the experience, the people in the letter to the Ephesus church that Paul was writing here, very likely there were people in the congregation that had firsthand experience with a resurrected Christ. It's very possible that somebody in the room could have been like, let me tell you what it was like prior to Pentecost. Let me tell you what it was like when Jesus ascended into heaven. There was this, there were people that had still a firsthand experience. And so they're now trying to figure out what is it that they are headed towards. And so that's where we're going. That's what we're looking at. That's why Ephesians 4 is going to be an anchor passage that we're going to be looking at. And and we're also going to have moments where we're going to flash back to the gospel. And look at some of the teachings of Jesus, like Mark 7. We're also going to have moments where after the resurrection, there are places where Jesus intentionally interacted with people before he ascended. Why were those encounters so important? So hold on. We're going to get some places the next couple of weeks. This week, I was watching a movie with my family, and there's a scene in the film where uh, a father is on a hu- father and husband is on the phone with an insurance company, and while he's on the phone with the insurance company, you feel the intensity that this isn't the first time he was on the phone with an insurance company. Some of you already are smiling. You have had these experiences, and the tone of the conversation is: "Is please don't transfer me to another person. I've already talked to other people. I need you to stay on the phone with me because it doesn't make sense." why you won't cover this surgery. Like he's, it's more intense. Like, please just don't hang up on me. Don't transfer me. Don't put me, don't take a message. Like if I lose connection with you, I am not going to be able to keep moving things forward. Like there's this incredible, so I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you had to call Xfinity 
or you had to deal with an insurance company, or you were trying to get an answer about something for a grad program that you were trying to get into an institution, and they were giving you a runaround about scholarship or admittance and applications, and then before long, you're like, if, if, it's just one more person. What, like, is there somebody competent that I can talk to? Because everybody seems to be giving me a different answer. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Some of you I know work in the industry and you understand how hard it is to give the right answer all the time to every scenario that comes. And then you realize in many occasions that certain companies are not managed well. And so you have these businesses or these people where the manager is actually the problem. The employees are trying to meet the needs in a customer service way and in a satisfactory way. But what we're finding is, is that the manager keeps changing the scenario. I actually had a situation like that with a local city councilman recently where I actually said to him, it seems like you're moving the goalposts. And he's like, I guess I am. I'm like, well, at least you admitted it, right? You know, and so there's so many times where you're just like, man, I just can't believe that I've got to do. And so sometimes the only way that you can get where you need to go is to confront forcefully the manager in charge, right? And sometimes it doesn't feel very Christian, does it? It's like there's times where people look and they know I'm a pastor. How does a pastor confront injustice or a manager in a situation and not misrepresent Jesus, right? It's, so there's times where I'm like, right now, I really wish I wasn't a pastor and I wasn't a Christian because I really want to give this person a, a customer service lesson forcefully, right? It's just, it's just difficult sometimes. But Paul is using a management illustration He's using the frustration in communication. You're going to find in the letter to the church in Ephesus that there's almost a tone of what we've experienced by please don't transfer me. I want to know the truth. I need to get somewhere. I need, I need this to make sense. I, I, I need it to be anchored in something. And so what we find here in Ephesians 4 is what is, and this is the question, what is the incompetent manager of the human body? Think about that just for a minute. When Andre was reading these scriptures over us, it's sometimes hard to hear it when it's just read publicly because sometimes we need to see it. And some of you were following along, but according to Paul's words about the human body, what is the incompetent manager? It's the human mind. I, I want us to catch that in this text. Some of you have been with me and we've had several meals, meals together through the winter. And, and this has been a passion in my heart recently because we live in a culture right now where everybody's lying to each other. Like there's a war going on in the world where people are lying about scenarios and situations. And then there's things happening in our own city where neighbors are lying to neighbors or uh, teenagers to teenagers and cafeteria violence. And there's just so many places where there is this there's there's this a lack of truth telling and lies and then Paul here is saying to us do you not understand that the human body is so easily misled and the reason is is that your human body has an incompetent manager 
And that incompetent manager is the human mind. Paul says this so passionately, not just here in Ephesians 4. We don't have time to get into it. This in some of our growth community notes for this week. But in, Col- in Colossians chapter 3, he goes right through this same type of text again to the church there and is saying the same thing to them with the same amount of power because to Paul, these early churches all are struggling to know how do I confront the most incompetent manager in my life? What do I do with this thing that I can't separate myself from? How do I get it to do its job? How do I get it to focus? And Paul longs to see the young churches under his care changing their behavior. This whole chapter in Ephesians 4 was about how they structured themselves. The beginning of the chapter is about how they utilize the gifts and leaderships in the church. And then it steps into so that this new behavior can take charge. And the one thing, the biggest obstacle to the new behavior taking over is the object between our ears. And the thoughts that are going in and through it. Because Paul saw that the, and I say pagan in a first century mindset. I think it has a little bit different English tone today. But Paul is using this this idea that Gentile was the world that didn't know God. The non-Jewish people was the way that the first century would have heard that. But really that word is very accurately said, the people that actually don't follow after God, the one true God, like are really not all trying to shape their lives around our true king and our true Lord. So Paul is saying that there is a way of thinking that is in this world that leads to death. And he was, he's not talking about like death for eternal security. He's literally talking about the fact that neighbors kill neighbors. People are cheating one another. There's crosses literally lining the roads from Jerusalem to little towns because Rome had this way. It's like, you don't think like us, we kill you. And so there was this idea that the people were so accustomed to, I am going to lie, cheat, steal, and become violent, even to the point of killing people around me, even children or adults. Like this was a very violent world. We live in a very violent city. There are things happening all the time because the brain is broken. We get to the point where we actually, under certain stimulus, will act ways that we never thought we would act. It happens to all of us. I am just as guilty of that myself, where I can spend time, years, studying what it means to follow Jesus. I can quote Bible verses, but you put the right temperature around me. Sometimes the things that come out of me, I'm like, where did that come from? And I'm not just talking about the customer service people at Xfinity, all right? It's other situations that happen um, around us. But here, Paul knew... um, that the only way their behavior was going to change is if he taught them how to address their mind. So in verse 17, Paul says that the mind is foolish. Verse 18, with a darkened understanding and a deep-seated ignorance, the brain leads us. It's like this, there's, there's, a, there's a dark side. Like there's a reason why we're drawn to the Star Wars movies. There's a reason why we're drawn to Harry Potter movies. There's a reason why there's so many films that have darkness versus light, good versus evil that we're drawn to because we can resonate deep in our souls that there's a struggle that happens inside of our thinking. 
And, and then in verse 19, he says, if you give in to the foolish mind, if you give in to the darkness that's in it, and you just let the mind manage you foolishly, there is no stopping where it can go. And that can be really bad. Like Ukraine, the border, Baltimore City Schools, um, hospitals around our city right now. Like there's so many places where when the mind is left unchecked, it takes you into dark places. And so um, I had Alana put this on a slide for us. We won't understand where the behavior comes from unless we understand the state of our heart and mind. But here's the thing. Just sitting in church and hearing a sermon on this isn't going to be good enough. Like you can't evaluate the state of your heart and mind unless you take time to take a deep breath and say, what is the state of my heart and mind? And then have some sort of litmus test that you can provide it. And that's what this series hopefully is going to be because we won't change our behavior unless we change our heart and mind. We can fake it. And there's this, there's a, a colloquialism in certain regions of the country that say fake it until you make it, right? And there are a lot of people that can do that. That's why lying on resumes is now a professional sport, right? Like there's people that now get a big, get excited because they've learned a way to trick their way through the system. You know, they can word manipulate or do whatever in order to make people think that they can do things they really can't do. And next thing you know, they're doing them. And then it's like two years in, the boss is like, oh, wow, you really didn't graduate from Harvard? Oh, no, no, man. I, I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, right? So... N.T. Wright says this, and I love this quote, because many people today, um, changing the mind and changing the heart isn't something that a lot of people want to hear. But I love what he says here. He says, there is a persistent untruth which has made its way into the popular imagination of our day. I want you to understand, he's not talking about just the church. He's talking about the way people think about what we're talking about, like the world. He says that Christianity means closing off your mind, ceasing all serious thought, and living in a shallow fantasy world divorced from the solid truths of real life. There's a lot of people out there, and I've run into them. I, I quoted um, from an article on Good Friday, at our Good Friday gathering, from a gentleman that would say that he uh, believes this from a New York Times op- opinion article. But what Paul is saying here is, yes, of course that is true for some. But yet he's saying the truth is, is that genuine Christ following opens the mind so that it can grasp deeper and deeper levels of truth. So why is that not the testimony of the church? Why is the testimony of the church that Christianity is the most closed minded thing that you could be a part of? It can even be dangerous to think like a Christian when Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, it is the best way to be human. Is the best way to think. So how can it go from being the best way to think to being the worst way to think? And I'll tell you the truth is, is that people that have followed Jesus have said, I'm the best way to think. And they haven't changed their thinking. And so there's this huge disparity between what Jesus said and did and what the church does. There's a huge difference between the things that Jesus taught and the things that the church has taught. 
And there is very little fruit, which we talked about on Easter Sunday. If we want to have confidence in our faith, then we should just look at the fruit on our tree. If we haven't looked at the fruit on our tree, then we might not have the type of confidence that we need. And so this letter to the church in Ephesus, to me, when I, when I really started to study it, to me felt like I missed the first movie. Have you guys ever watched uh, the sequel before you watched the first movie? Like there's things that you can understand. Some of you have like spot watched the Marvel films. Like, so you didn't watch them in order. And so you were like, okay, that was great. And all buildings blew up. The Hulk got green. Like, and you know, so you were just like, there were things that you could appreciate, but there were things in the story that you missed because you didn't go all the way back to the first Captain America film. And you missed the other little films. And you're like, well, what part does Ant-Man have to play in this? Very little. All right. So (laughs) when you, when you begin to get all of that, you find, that when Paul is talking to this church in Ephesus, we missed his first movie. We missed his first teachings. This is now coming back and building on top of everything that they have already had a foundation built into them. And so if we're not careful, we're going to miss the subtle statements that he's made that is helping them to remember and get new information. And like we've said here now for almost 15 years, we have a forgetting problem. And many times we act like we never saw the first film, but we actually did. And we need to remember what took place in that setting so that we can then fully embrace what's happening now. And so in this particular passage of scripture, we find that the clear intention of Paul is to tell them you need to be fully into Jesus Christ. And so there were things that he had said about who Jesus was and taught that he's not repeating. He's just reminding them with a catchphrase. Paul knew that it was about Jesus. And so the believers that were in the church that he was writing to, this isn't an unbelieving audience. This is a group of people that were gathered in Jesus's name. And there's so much Paul is trying to help them to remember. And it was more than just the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. They knew that they had experienced it. They were aware of it. There was so much excitement around it. And if you don't think there was excitement around it, then you don't understand that at least 10 of the disciples were killed because they followed Jesus after the resurrection. They were martyred for it. Who would give up their life if it wasn't true? And so, so many things were happening in that first century church. But Paul says it includes the human behaviors that Jesus taught us. This is why it's been so frustrating for me growing up in the church, reflecting back after nearly 30 years of really being an adult, actively thinking about my life as a follower of Jesus. How many times a pastor actually taught me out of the Sermon on the Mount? Like seriously, think back into your church history. How many of you have gone through where you have fully begun to know and to memorize things like the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus maps out human behavior? There is no doubt what Jesus thinks a human should look like, act like, talk like, love like, um, interact, do with their resources because Jesus taught it very specifically. And Paul knows that Jesus' teachings, which some of the audience maybe even heard themselves live, was important. 
and it allows the teachings of Jesus to take its full effect on us when we use Jesus as our defense against our mind. Because the mind is a bad manager, Jesus is an excellent manager. So if we want to know what it looks like to love every day, then it's Jesus. If we want to know what it looks like to love tomorrow under the stimulus that we're going to feel tomorrow, it's Jesus. Because let's just be honest, we don't know the stimulus that's coming tomorrow. But we know what the stimulus happened yesterday, the day before. But let me just tell you this. The only way that our mind is going to be prepared for what's coming is if it has its fix on Jesus and not its own free reign. And Paul is saying that to this church. And so he uses analogy about taking stuff off, throwing it away and putting something new on. And that's a rhythm in Paul's language. And so he goes through a series of things. And that's why Andre read just verse 25 and verse 29, because I only want to talk about one garment that needs to be replaced today. And I'm going to refer to it as like a mask or a muzzle or a face covering. But the one thing that has got to become something that proves that our mind is being managed differently is the words that come out of our mouth. And it's not just the cursing and profanity, which we'll talk about a little bit in verse 29, but it's actually the ways we talk to one another, which is the stories we tell, the truth, the lies, the things like that, that's very important. Verse 25 said, so stop telling lies. That's your applications. (laughs) That's your resume. That's the relationships with your parents. Like we we shouldn't lie to people. We might need to get creative in truth telling because sometimes you need to tell somebody, uh, yes, it is a beautiful day, right? But you don't need to get into the weeds with them. So we got to be wise. We got to think about our words, but there's the key word, think. <laughs> we got to measure what it is that's coming out of our mouth. And, and then in verse 20, 29, it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Oh, does that mean even with Comcast? Yes. Does that mean with the cars on the road that are recalculating and they cut you off because they don't know how to go and let it come to a new road? You know, they just cut across four lanes of traffic and they don't worry about driving you off the road. They just can't miss their exit. Don't use foul and abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, the issue is, is that we think Paul is just giving wise advice by saying, don't lie to each other. But he's actually talking to a bunch of people that would have known the Old Testament, which we don't. And so unless your Bible app has a little letter that you can click on that shows you a reference to the Old Testament, we don't get the full story. That phrase, don't lie to one another, is a direct quote from Zechariah chapter 8. And in a Jewish teaching style, the way that you help teach people is you take a phrase out of a popular passage and the people know the context of that passage. So therefore, you don't have to reteach the whole passage. You just give a phrase. All of that information comes back and then you move forward. And so what was going on in Zechariah chapter eight? It says this, but this is what you must do, Zechariah says to them. Tell the truth to each other. Render verdicts in your course that are just and that lead to peace. And this quote comes 
after Zechariah has talked to them about what it's going to look like when God renews his people and he restores his, their fortunes. So the testimony that God has started to renew people and that their fortunes are coming back, one of the testimonies of those types of people are truth-tellers. And so if the resurrection happened and the hope that we have is sealed up tight, how can we lie to people and not think that they're going to be confused about hope and eternity? Because the testimony of people that have been renewed by Jesus don't lie. They don't tell false truth. They don't bend stories to manipulate them. When people are around you, they're like, wow, there's something new and fresh about you. Because the words that come out of your mouth are trustworthy. You're telling the truth, even if it's hard and there's painfulness to it. But speaking the truth to each other is one of the ways in which the world is going to notice that Jesus is alive. If we belong to one another in the way that this letter to the church in Ephesus indicates, telling lies is a way of corporate self-deceit and it is self-defeating. There are so many churches right now that are suffering because people lied to each other. They lied to the community. They lied to their children. So many of our uh, young congregants have gone through what I would call a deconstruction is the word. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the adults like me, when they were young and impressionable, lied to them. And one of the ways that they were lied to was people misused the Old Testament. And so Paul shows us a great example of how in his church he could go back to the Old Testament and use it for good. But then there are other people right now that are using the Old Testament to go against the Sermon on the Mount. They'll go not to Jesus's red letters when we're declaring war to blow up somebody. They'll go to David's wars and quote from the Old Testament to say it's okay for us to drop bombs and kill thousands of people because we can do this because David did it. But yet you go to Jesus's words and it says that that you're to love your enemies and you're to pray for those and you're not supposed to strike anybody. Matter of fact, let them strike you twice. And we don't see many of our leaders in those settings saying those things. And so there's so many tensions and places where we have to be careful. And so later this year, we're going to take some time to talk about how do we use the Old Testament? If it is all about Jesus and we still have access to the Old Testament scriptures, how do we use that for God's glory? And so here, Ephesians 4, it isn't just about bitter and sour speech. And that's a really easy way for me to say it when I know we have kids in the room. Um, But your tongue gives you the opportunity to bring God's grace to people. Your tongue has the opportunity to bring God's grace to people. God doesn't tell you to prove to other people how smart you are. God doesn't tell you how to um, judge people with your tongue. God doesn't tell you how to tell people to be quiet forcefully or all these other things. God tells you with your words to season them with salt and let them be full of grace. And by what we say and how we say it, it can take away from the power of a resurrected Jesus. And 
I want to live with brothers and sisters that are fully involved in the power of Christ. Where, yes, life is hard. Things get difficult. There's a lot of stresses and frustrations and pressures. But we can endure. We can, we can have wisdom. We can love one another well through hardship. And that's what was happening behind the scenes to the church in Ephesus. And so, like I said this week, there are so many things in our material. So if you're, if you're following along in the app and you're looking in the notes section, there is small group materials at the end of it. And there's some great questions that are going to lead us through this. Um, but how do we, and one of the questions is, is how do we set our minds on something? How are we going to make sure that our mind has a control system on it? so that it is not a bad manager. We need to talk about this. We need to put things into practice so that we are growing more and more and more into the image of Jesus and less and less and less like the systems of our world. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we can have today to be together, um, talk about things about you, But Father, what's the most pleasing and what I feel like is the sweetest smell to you is lives of love and obedience. And so, Lord, I pray that what we talked about today would really drive us to want to control our minds. And as we step into other words like anger and these ideas of self-control and and being a good worker, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to throw aside the things like lying that is getting in the way of hope and that we could be a living proof that Jesus is alive. And so, Father, this week, would you help us to measure our words um, and that we would bring grace into our situations and not bring hurt. Father, forgive us for the things that we've said this week, things I've said this week. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to walk in healing and, and restoration um, with those that are close to us and those that could be on the internet through something we've shared through social media. Lord, help us to think about the things that we say. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.